This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. I want to welcome you to this edition of Real Talk Jesperson here with technical producer John Hicks. This is a tale of two cities today. Uh, we're going to take a look at uh, one of Western Canada's most populated city centers, uh, the city of Edmonton, and its doomed Valley Line LRT project. This is a $2 billion boondoggle. Three years off schedule and not even open yet. We've got two Edmonton City Councilors joining us in studio. And then we'll head out to the big smoke. Toronto's got a new mayor. It's uh, Olivia Chow, a former NDP MP with a big win. Will it mark big change for Toronto? We'll talk to political strategist Andrew Tumulty. He worked on John Tory's campaigns on two successful elections. He'll let us know what he sees coming up in the city of Toronto. This episode is presented by our friends at Danatech. And we want to take a second to remind you that safety training is a big deal, right? You're looking at me saying, well, tell me something we don't already know. Well, do you need currently safety training that actually makes a difference on your job site? Danatech has been the leader in Canadian safety training for more than 30 years. Their online blended and instructor-led training courses combine regulatory compliance with real-world smarts and practical tips. And that's, of course, very important stuff right? You want to make sure that your team knows exactly what they need to know from experts who know how busy job sites work. You can visit danatech.com today to check out their course catalog and get started on training your team the right way today. That's danatech.com. Well, City Councilor Andrew Knack represents constituents in Edmonton's Ward, Nakota East. Uh, Tim Cartmel is the councilor representing constituents in Ward Pahasuan. And both of them have been kind enough to join us here in the Real Talk studio. It's nice to see your faces in person. Thanks for doing this. I believe that for both of you, this is your debut in the new studio space. And so we're happy to welcome you here. I'm going to make sure that uh, we try to keep this uh, conversation on the rails. And, and no, I'm just doing my best. This, oh. this is right. And nightmare a boondoggle is it fair to call it this an, an, an announcement yesterday from the builder of the valley line lrt the southeast line this is the one that was supposed to open in december of 2020 that there will be yet another delay because now they've got to run 140 kilometers worth of cable uh, cable that's already starting to corrode that's starting to rust that's starting to deteriorate uh, and the line hasn't even opened yet Pe- people at this point i think are laughing so they don't cry is that fair to say Councillor cartmel uh yeah I, i'm probably one of those laughed and laugh so you don't cry i you know i would have thought i guess just diving right in that uh when we had the problem with the pillars uh someone would have said all right well this is a delay uh it's going to cost us several months to fix these things is there any other thing is there any other component like do all the wires work do all the elevators work do all the escalators work uh you know is there any other part of this system that uh, we can test on its own so when it comes time to test the whole system together, that it's all going to work. So, how you know where we get to this? I I honestly don't know. 
So for, for people that maybe aren't familiar uh, ab- about the, the stuff around the pillars, I mean, th- this was uh, actually kind of a bit of a, can I call it? And, and, and we may have, I, I want to note that you are an engineer and it's good yep. to have an engineer here sitting at the table today yes. uh, because, because we'll have other engineers and construction experts saying, is, is Jesperson really like, giving us his opinion on how things look here? I don't know the first thing about pouring concrete or building LRT tracks, but when people started to notice cracks all over these pillars uh, and then started hearing rumors that the concrete wasn't treated or wasn't ready for temperatures below 10 minus 10 degrees people started really rolling their eyes and, and i think for for some folks that hadn't already lost faith in this project that was maybe a big hurdle for them too yeah it's it's one of those things and and i'm not the engineer in the room here i'm not that expert uh but but you get to the point that you know you get tired of saying you're frustrated right how many how many times can you say you're frustrated i i think back to when I first started on council, we were having challenges with the metro line, and that was frustrating. And it, and it just feels like there's this continuation of these, particularly these major rail projects that have been uh, not going the way that they're supposed to be going. And and whether it's folks want to laugh instead of cry or, or get angry about it, but, but I mean, all of those feelings are justified when people are just wanting to use this infrastructure because even with all of the problems that there have been in terms of getting this operating, uh, you know, I still hear a lot of excitement about people being able to have that choice, but they just want to be able to finally use it. So what's the problem here? Like, like I've seen some people say, well, this is what you get with a P3 partnership, right? Which is a, a kind of, a, you know, obviously a, a model to follow um, to give folks a sense of how long this project has been in the hopper on how long people have been waiting for this. Um, I've heard a rumor, please confirm it if it's true, that then Prime Minister Stephen Harper insisted on this following a P3 model for construction if Edmonton wanted federal funding. I'll remind people that the Liberal Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has served three terms. So when we're talking about Stephen Harper, this is a while ago. Is this because this is a P3? That seems to me to be no. a little bit too simplistic. It's way too simplistic. And and so, uh, you know... There's essentially two forms of contracts that you're talking about. And one is where the design and the building responsibility is all with one contractor or one consortium. That's the case we have here. Uh, or you can get what is what is typically called a traditional approach to contracting, where the city would hire a team of designers and they would hire a separate team of contractors. And those two would, you know, the design would be done and the contractors would go and build that design. So imagine if we did not have a P3 today. We had that traditional thing today. And, oh, someone found corroded cables. Well, is that a design problem? Uh, Is that somebody didn't, or is that a constructability problem? Is that a material problem? We delivered the wrong cable or we designed the wrong cable. And you can imagine how you're going to get this this bun fight between the, the design team and the contracting team. We have a P3. We have one point of contact. So regardless of, of where this fault is, it is that one point of contact's responsibility to remedy it. Now, that's, that's not us ducking the responsibility uh, or the accountability. We, we have a role to hold, hold administration to account that then holds the contractor to account. But, but the genesis of these errors is not the form of the contract. The, the genesis, the, the origin of these errors is some amount of lack of due care and attention or some other thing that happens in construction. And these things happen all the time. They're just not remedied in the court of public opinion. They're remedied in the construction trailer. I was going to say, I think the one, the, I would agree, it's not the P3 that's the issue. I think the one the one area where I, I do find that's a bit of a concern is is around how is that 
uh, public accountability? How is that conversation coming back to city council? How are we able to ask the right questions in a way that people can hear the answers and understand what is being done to resolve the problems? And I, I would suggest that there is a little bit less control, at least based off how that P3 was originally created, that that doesn't allow for, I think, that that public dialogue that I think so many people want. People want to know what are what questions are councillors asking about how this is going. But a lot of that has to happen in camera because there is potential legal implications. There's a lot of things that, that can't be discussed. And, and that's where I think people get really frustrated because they're like, well, what are you doing, counselors, to try to hold these folks accountable? And I think that's one of the gaps in that process. And, and that could, I, th I think that could be tied a little bit back to that notion of the P3, or at least this, the way that one was designed. Well, and I think people also, when you're pissed off about something, or when you're frustrated about something, you want to blame somebody, you want to point a finger, you want to get upset, and you want to find out where you should channel that emotion. Sure. Well, and, and you know, so right now today, we're talking about, you know, these, these, these errors, these trip-ups, these delays, and we're, you know, we're in the design construction realm. Um, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of P3s because I think actually the problem with the P3 is coming. I mean, you know, this consortium is going to operate this line. Uh, we already have uh, Edmonton Transit that operates another railway and a bus system. How is that going to marry together? You know, you've got uh, a, a constant everyday interface with the public. Um, I I just don't think that assigning the operation of a, what is really just one component of an overall transit system, and you take that regionally, a really big transit system, uh, and, and taking one piece of it and pulling it out and letting somebody else operate it, that does not make sense to me. That's where this P3 will actually fall apart. Was that decision made when the original project was approved? Yeah. So yeah. there's only one person on, and I'm not like this, That's I'm not looking to put the bullseye on the mayor right now, but Amarjeet Sohi is the only individual that was serving on council at the time that this was approved, correct? That's right. And since then, he's been a federal MP and infrastructure minister, right? And then, and then he's come back and, of course, won the mayor's office. But I think the choice then would have been said, okay, we're not doing a P3. We won't take that federal funding on a $2 billion project. That's a, I mean, that's a tough place to be in. So well, you're not going right. to get it built. Yeah, to I be frank. it's not coming. I was watching that meeting not as a counselor, but as somebody who is very interested in the construction of LRT in the city. And you could, through each of the counselors as they were speaking about it, you could see the sort of pain because they had really no choice to that point. That, that if you did not accept that, we were not building LRT out to Millwoods. And if the choice is build LRT out to an area that, that needs it or not do it at all, well, the, you didn't really have a choice. And so they were put in a bit of a bind in that regards. I want to get to our live chat. We've got obviously engaged individuals. We're talking Edmonton now. We're going to be talking Toronto in about a half an hour. Tracy says, as an Edmonton taxpayer, I'm not pleased uh, with the lack of progress here. The fact that my family's access to the city bus uh, was taken out of our immediate vicinity. Um, Kathy says maybe it's time to look at the bidding and awarding process. It seems wild to me that every single line on this project is delayed beyond what is reasonable. Uh, what would you guys say to that? Absolutely. Uh, you know, now we've had a, a bit of a hiccup in our audit department, but that was the conversation I had with, uh, with our auditor. Oh, back when we, when we talked about the cracks, we need to do a deep dive on this project. We need to know, uh, you know, just how it was procured, how the, how the, um, proponents were selected. Uh, what the feedback loop was on it. We need to know what we're going to take forward for the next project that we might procure, uh, you know, in terms of lessons learned. We, um, uh, 
There's so much to dig into. Do we have, even though that you know the the, the design and construction is is more or less discreetly with TransEd, there are conversations and ongoing dialogue and interface with city administration. Do do we have the right people at that table? Do they have the right skills and experience to be having those conversations? And I don't mean now when it's at the highest levels and we're we're at this you know this. Uh, this brinks the, the, on the brink of trying to get this thing going. I can't get my words out. But do we have the right people at that table all the way along making some of those early decisions that got us to these places? I don't think we really know that. So, so there is absolutely room for a, for a, a great big deep dive audit of this whole project. And, and I would flag, it's worth noting, we, we did something similar back in 2014, 2015 after the Walterdale Bridge, the Metro Line, and the Grote Road Bridge. There were three major projects that had pretty significant and public issues. That Grote Bridge was a real mess. Right, and, and so there was a deep dive audit in those projects, which resulted in a pretty massive transformation in how we manage projects. But I mean, you think about this project, it started um, before that audit happened too. So we need to do an audit on this one as well. But I, I do also think it is worth noting that that we shouldn't paint all projects with the same brush because since 2015, we have beginning been doing quite a bit in terms of how we manage projects and we've been seeing better results overall. Obviously, we've got some big, very large projects that aren't going well, but we need to make sure we're talking about that in the overall scale of the, what we're working on. Uh, Councillor Nack, without getting too into the weeds, can you like the, the, the average person like me, I'm the average person, like I pay a, a work working amount of attention to what's going on, but I don't get into the minutia of it. What would be one example of something that is demonstrably different in the way that the city is, is, is going through this process than it would have been, you know, 10 years ago? Three quick things I would flag. One, there was actually a lot of staffing changes back in 2015. You don't hear about it because we don't publicly talk about a lot of the staffing changes, but other, uh, suffice to say at the time, the transportation department saw a 70% change in leadership when there was a transportation department. Um, and you can make a lot of assumptions as to why that is, but there were audits that showed there were a lot of gaps. Um, we changed how council gets reporting. We actually didn't get regular reporting. The Metro line, the issue started within the first, I believe it was three months of the 2010 term of city council. Uh, but we didn't find out about it until I got elected to city council in December 2023, or 2013, sorry. Um, so there was a change in reporting. We now get quarterly public reports and there's even a public website where people can actually keep track of the status of all of our projects. And I think the third thing is when we generally approve budgets. We used to approve a budget and a schedule without having done our detailed design. We used to do sort of a very high level design, then we would approve budget and schedule and it would shock you then if you haven't, it's like if you're gonna renovate your house. If you had somebody come down and you're gonna renovate your basement and they came in and, and looked at the basement without taking back the walls and saying, here's what it's gonna cost, here's how long it's gonna take. Well, it's no surprise that when the wall comes down and there's cracks in your foundation, it's gonna take a lot longer. You need to do that detailed design work before you start approving budgets and schedules. So there's been three pretty significant changes, a lot of other ones, but those would be the quick highlights since 2015. Doesn't mean there's not more to do we need a deep dive on this particular project too but I, I think it is worth flagging what we've done to date do you worry that edmontonians the average edmontonian is losing faith in the city's ability oh, to yeah. get big projects built oh yeah and, and you know andrew talks about that reporting and and you know technically um uh, conceptually that's all great 
Mm-hmm. But there's real, there still is problems with the way those dollars are reported. That it is not the way that the private sector reports those things, generally speaking. And uh, you know, so it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily. Those reports don't necessarily tell the whole story and the whole journey of each project. And I, that continues to be a concern of mine. But writ large, we have a confidence and credibility problem. Every time one of these things happens, that people lose confidence, uh, and we lose credibility. And not just on big infrastructure projects. That begins to leak into other conversations where we. Uh, people simply don't believe what they're hearing, almost regardless of the issue. You know, when when we have this this continuing litany of of uh, failures or of delays or what have you. Um, I'm going to get to a letter in just a second. I've been sitting on this. Uh, this is from a, a real talker. Uh, we're going to call him Tom. He's asked for me to uh, keep him anonymous for obvious reasons. He's worked on this project for multiple years as part of the management team at Transed. And uh, I'm going to get to it. It's, it's a hell of an email. He wrote it in August of last summer. And it's probably still applicable today, which tells you a little bit something about the progress there. It's it's insight from the other side. Uh, that's coming up in just a second. If you're uh, listening to us live on the Mixler audio app uh, presented by our friends at California Closets, we're hanging out with Edmonton City Councilors Tim Cartmel and Andrew Knack. More from them in just a second. Speaking of California Closets, you know them, of course, as the designers and the builders of custom closets and storage solutions for your entire home. This is the team that helps you make the most of your space with their custom organizational systems. Uh, this is what our family did. About 10 years ago, we reached out. This is our first connection with California Closets because our entertainment center in the family room looked like it belonged in a dorm room at a university, quite frankly. We had all of our board games piled up and books everywhere, and it was just a mess. Uh, and not to mention what our closets looked like. We've got an older home, right? And so the closets are just tiny, and and the California Closets team came in, and the the way that their minds work, the way that they see spaces and then carry out those designs into practical applications really blew our minds. But I want to take a second to remind you that they're also doing a lot of work in people's garages. You know, the garage is the workhorse of the home. Why not make it work for you, right? No more rakes and shovels on the floor. No more tripping over extension cords. No more looking for your golf shoes or Searching for that Allen key. I'm describing myself again. California Closets can help you make the most of your custom-designed garage storage space, including cabinets. It all starts with a visit today to californiaclosets.ca. June is Pork Month at Friesen Brothers. And, of course, I know a lot of you this weekend coming up are going to be firing up your grill. If you're in one of the 16 Alberta communities where there's a Friesen Brothers, make sure you swing on in and check out their custom Friesen Brothers barbecue sauce. Now, this could actually be the world's best barbecue sauce. Original, hickory, chicken and rib, honey garlic. Councillor Carmel, you're nodding. Have you tried the Friesen Brothers garlic? This is the, do you have a favorite barbecue sauce for Friesen Brothers? Well, I can't do the hot stuff. The original sauce is mine. The original, absolutely, absolutely yes, classic, right? Uh, Friesen Brothers also wants you to know that if you're getting ready to host Friends for Canada Day, you'll find everything you need for that celebration. Party essentials, barbecue options, family dinner ideas, and they've got special Canada Day flower hanging baskets or BC-grown bouquets. If you're looking for a gift or decor inspiration, Friesen and Brothers for more than 65 years is proudly Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. And on behalf of Civic Service Union 52, we wanted to let you know that CSU 52 members are helping to deliver the core city services you rely on to make sure that our city works. 
CSU 52 members are the people who arrange your accessible transportation, who answer your emergency calls, reunite with you with lost pets, keep your power on, spark your imagination, and so much more. CSU 52 members are dedicated to ensuring high demand services are right here around the clock so that our city works for all of us. CSU 52 and Edmonton for everyone. Councillor Andrew Knack is uh, joining us in studio, representing his constituents in the ward Nakota East. Uh, Councillor Tim Cartmel, uh, an engineer, by the way, uh, here representing the constituents of Ward Pahaswin. And we're talking about the Valley Line, Southeast Line, the West Line as well, under construction, a different contractor, and uh, we hope a different outcome. As we saw yesterday, an announcement that this project will be further delayed. In August of 2022, we received an email from Tom, not his real name, but we've verified his identity. He says, I've been working on the Valley Line LRT for multiple years as part of the management team at TransEd. I can tell you that the management staff at TransEd is just as disappointed as the public when these delays are announced. Uh, the companies associated with this job, Ellis Don and Bechtel primarily, are hemorrhaging money on this project. All the profit is gone. Keep in mind, this was written almost a year ago, and the losses are in the hundreds of millions of dollars. At this point, the contractors are subsidizing the LRT for Edmontonians. That's a hell of a clip. He says the issues behind the delays are technically complex and not due to a lack of quality control. They're due to this being one-time infrastructure and the city of Edmonton being entirely too prescriptive for the P3 model. The piers that are failing, the concrete pillars, are failing mostly due to the shape of the piers that the city prescribed. And Transit attempted early on to change that shape to a recess instead of a full void in the center. Now, while the problem likely could have been fixed through further design by TransEd to fully blame TransEd for all the delays is completely and utterly unfair. The city has been combative and the city's design firm has not listened to logical engineering reasoning through the project's life. Uh, to be clear, there has been no partnership approach toward TransEd in this private public model. The P3 model for this project was not the right choice and creates a layer of bureaucracy unnecessary for a project of this size. Tom says, I spent countless nights crying about the stress of this project. The staff loves this city and wants this project done. To build a standard bridge in today's day and age is simple, but to build an elevated guideway with an original design is completely different. Please, Jespo, don't spend all your time bashing the contractor. Most of us try our best away from social media, but we're all trying to get the job done as fast and as safely as possible. If you know someone who works on this project, they need a hug. It's hard to work passionately on something when you know all of Edmonton is against you. That's from Real Talker Tom. How would you respond to that, Councillor Carmel? So I tell you that uh, project management is uh, as much an art as a science. And it is uh, absolutely um, based on the relationships you build. There's give and take, uh, and so I, you know, have no way of of commenting intelligently on the comments that are buried in there. But it's it, it generally speaks to a relationship that's not as good as it needs to be. Perhaps a relationship that's failed between the city and between Transit, and and that's a bad place to be. Uh, you know, none of these things are absolute. None of these things. Um, uh, are easily predictable. So, 
you know, one of the biggest things we talk about and one of the things that perhaps gets overemphasized on the city side is is risk. And when you're talking about building the Stantec Tower, you know, your risks are what's underground. And so when you dig a giant hole and you remove all that underground stuff, you mitigate the risks. When you're talking about something that's 14 kilometers long, uh, what you can't see is the risk. And there's all kinds of places where you can't see stuff that, that, that there's going to be risk, just as one example. So you, you've got to have a relationship with the people you're working for and working with that is going to have some give and take in the relationship. And if, and if there's not... Um, the relationship fails and the project fails soon after. So I, you know, that's my immediate reaction to that. Um, uh, talking about the peer specifically, someone stamped a drawing and someone was responsible to make sure that that peer was built to that drawing. And so if, if, if uh, the peer was not adequate or the design wasn't gonna hold up what it's supposed to hold up, um, you, that might be all kinds of city demands that it looks this way or acts that way. But at the end of the day, someone has to take responsibility for making it work. And if it wasn't going to work, they shouldn't have built it. Uh, you know, so if, and if it is going to work and you've taken responsibility for that, you have to follow that through all the way to the end to make sure that what gets built is what you intended to get built. Mm. And that's a design thing, not a city thing. A few things jump out at me in that letter, obviously. Uh, one of them, I mean, just at the end on a personal level, it's hard to work passionately on something when you know all of Edmonton is against you. I mean, that's a real gut punch. But, but what about the dollars and cents here? Um, you know, claiming here that the losses here would be in the hundreds of millions of dollars says at this point, the contractors are subsidizing the LRT for Edmontonians, which in a way may be true, but I, but I, I don't think you're going to get much sympathy for Edmontonians that have been waiting for this thing to open, right? They're going to roll their eyes on that. I, I guess I'm taking you into the contract mm -hmm. here. I might be putting you on the spot, but, but people do want typically with a project like this, almost for every day that it's delayed, there's a penalty or at least every week that it's delayed. Could, do you know the details on this council? Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously there are going to be details that have to get worked out. Sure. Sure. You know, in terms of a legal process, but but we can say, generally speaking, there were a few things. The one benefit of the P3 is it is a fixed price contract. And so, you know, if there were cost overruns on the construction, that's not coming back to us as Edmonton taxpayers. That's coming back to the companies doing the work. Similarly, because they're operating the line, they had an original operation date that they have clearly not met. And that means every day it's not operating. They are not getting the revenue from that service. So, um, you know... I don't know what the final numbers are, but I wouldn't be shocked that they are large, large losses because they are not operating and recovering the cost of, of construction of that system. What's the name of the construction of the, the, the company that's doing the West Line? Is that Marigold? Marigold, yeah. yes. Marigold and Transed is doing the Southeast Line. Um, now, I know that the two of you aren't out there every day with, with your hard hats and your steel-toed boots, but, but from your perspective as counselors, have you noticed a difference in, in the two approaches, or have you noticed anything that you could compare or stack up parallel uh, between those two companies or how those lines are being built out? Well, I think Andrew's better to answer that because you know he's closer to it. It's running through his ward. But uh, my, my first observation is that the much more communicative and, and and you know they're trying to form ahead that's my my observation from a bit of a distance maybe watching say. and learning over the past few Perhaps, years and seeing yeah. how the southeast line yeah. has gone yeah and i think you nailed it what i've seen so far from marigold is is a far greater amount of communication with uh residents in the area they're not perfect as nobody will be on a project of that scale but generally speaking i'm seeing regularly uh, regular and consistent communication trying to tell people what they're working on for how long uh and and that helps alleviate some of those concerns you know again no matter how hard you work not every project will be perfect and if you expect perfection you're probably going to be a bit disappointed but i think what people expect is that if something isn't going exactly the way is intended communicate it 
tell us. Tell us what's happening, why it's happening, and how you're gonna try to make it better. Because that can go a long way into helping keep the community behind you. Um, generally speaking, there's a lot of construction. I live half a block off the Valley Line West construction, so I get to see it and experience it literally every single day. Um, and generally, I felt pretty good about what's being constructed by my home. There's a few pockets of the Valley Line West where I think they could do a little bit better job, and I'm working on that, especially with uh, businesses in the Glenora area. We've got like, you know, the Vice Pies and the Columbian folks there, that, that, that business, that stretch of business businesses, I think, hasn't had the greatest communication. But overall, I've seen a lot of good communication happening with the Stony Plain Road businesses, with the businesses, with West Edmonton Mall and the hospitals. So um, I'm, I'm feeling a lot better about where we're at on that. Um, and again, that doesn't mean the project will be perfect. But if, if they maintain that level of communication, we're going to be in really good shape over the years that we have for this project. Uh, we shouldn't talk about the, the Valley Line West without mentioning this workplace accident that happened just the other day. And, and yesterday, I mentioned it on the show. I want to thank Real talker Hamid uh, who is in touch with us and he let us know that that the the crew down there that works alongside Mark McQuaid who it sounds like and don't quote me but it sounds like maybe something fell on him uh, Edmonton uh, fire and an EMS obviously responded and he's in stable condition uh, non-life-threatening injuries but it sounds like the injuries are devastating to his foot his ankles his leg it sounds like he's gonna require reconstructive surgery he's got a young baby at home um, and and obviously this would be stressful for him and his partner um, they've raised about uh, coming up on 30 grand thanks real talkers for that I know some of you contributed to that yesterday because you let us know they're hoping to raise fifty thousand dollars that's the Mark McQuaid support campaign uh, and you'll be able to find the GoFundMe link in yesterday's show notes on the podcast and on YouTube and we'll punch them in today's show notes as well and and our thoughts are, are, are with Mark McQuaid and we're grateful uh, while the injuries sound horrific that they weren't worse that they weren't fatal uh, counselors before we let you go we thank you for your time you got a meeting starting in like 13 minutes it's a yeah. good thing we're right downtown hey, pal? You, can, you can just rip over to city <laughs> hall and, and there you go but i want to ask you about a few other things this is just me taking one tiny little thing and 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 nitpicking on it and then blowing up a big narrative which is what media did this look what media does but i'm on my walk into work today and 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 all along the sidewalk for a full block somebody just lost their mind it looks like with uh, i shouldn't say that so casually maybe someone was experiencing mental illness but what i mean is that there's smashed glass everywhere bottles just smashed everywhere and i'm going and i know that i'm not putting this on council i'm not putting it on anybody except the person that did it i guess but i'm going gosh you know like on the way into work and you got to dodge broken glass everywhere and i know all of us wish that downtown was vibrant and bustling and healthy and there's no better crime prevention than people everywhere right uh, but edmonton and, and urban centers across the country right now uh, edmonton is experiencing a real crime problem a real crime issue most especially downtown and it's causing people to lose confidence. They've, they've lost confidence, some have to a certain degree, in their safety on transit, and they're not using the trains, which is an optics and PR problem. I mean, how do you begin to fix this? Are you seeing any silver linings? Are you seeing any progress, Councillor Knack? Yeah, and we actually just saw a story, I think it was a couple of days ago, about the crime severity in our downtown core has gone down over the last few months. Um, but again, we shouldn't like immediately put up the mission accomplished banner. You know, Why do you think that is? Well, I think it is because you have seen EPS redeploy a lot of their resources onto the transit centers, into the downtown core. They're partnering very closely with the COT teams and the help teams, which include social workers and city transit peace officers. And so the coordination happening between all of these agencies, I think, is something we haven't really seen in the city in some time. 
and that is starting to pay off a bit. Uh, and we should also give a shout out to the province for adding in the sheriffs to that. So, so all of these things combined are helping in combination with, I think, with the festivals and events that have been happening downtown. More and more people are coming downtown. And as you mentioned, more people creates more eyes on the street and creates more safety. And so I think that the other pieces from a council perspective, we've started to get as of May monthly updates on this because I think people want to know what's happening. Uh, I think there had been work happening over the last few months, but we had not done a good job of actually communicating to people. Here's the steps we're actually taking. Here's the investment we're making into this. We want people to feel confident, but if we're not sharing it with anyone, how can you feel confident? You, all, you, all you see is that post on Facebook or that post on the Nextdoor app that says, oh, look at this one terrible thing that happened. And you assume that's happening all the time. We need to be able to share what we're doing to try to make things better. And I think that's starting to make a difference. But again, a lot of work to go still, a lot of solutions that need to happen, including with work with the province on housing and recovery centers and addiction support and mental health support. So still some foundational issues to work on. But Good progress from the enforcement side. Uh, Councillor Cartmel, uh, Nack mentions the, uh, you know, talks about the province and, and, and in closing, maybe, you know, you're perceived to be one of the, there's no parties here, which is kind of the beauty of municipal politics in a way, but you're perceived to be a more small C conservative councillor. Um, no conservatives. Uh, MLAs elected in the city of Edmonton and, and, and a lot of people for good reason are wondering, well, what, what might this mean for, for the dynamic uh, between Edmonton, the city of Edmonton and the provincial government? Yeah, yeah, and I think there's an overemphasis on that, on, on how many elected officials are, uh, uh, you know, of, of, of a different uh, party, a different cohort, uh, you know, at either level. I think what we lose sight of sometimes is that our city administration and the bureaucracy at uh, at the province, they're very closely linked. They work together all the time. There's a lot of conversation and a lot of work that happens there before uh, collaborative efforts or other things are elevated to the elected level. So, And that's that work is still going on. Uh, but do I, you have to work a little bit harder on the relationship building side oh, when the city is entirely orange? Yeah, absolutely you do. You know, you don't have you don't have an MLA to go through that's going to, you know, perhaps broker that conversation with a cabinet minister or take your views to the caucus table, that kind of a thing. So you have to build those relationships and 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 do it uh do it through that way. You know, you do it on a more casual informal basis. Uh you know, that's something that I've been working on since I got elected and I would note that that started with an NDP government that uh you know, was was uh, the government of the day in trying to build those relationships and tell our story, you know, through uh, either through our MLAs or, or directly. It's again, it's all relationships. It gets back to those relationships and, and building them in a, in a collaborative and communicative way. So far, so good. Or any red flags at this point early in the, the, the Danielle Smith government? No. I, and again, I've actually seen some outreach. I was at an event last week wearing my Alberta municipalities hat. I sit on that board and, and uh, one of the MLAs for the St. Paul area, uh, Scott Sear, actually came up to me at the end of our session and said, hey, like us northern MLAs, we want to work with you. So can we be invited out to a council meeting? I, I loved seeing that. That was encouraging to see. We've got good ministers surrounding us in the region here. So um, I think, you know, uh, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic because if I'm not going to be cautiously optimistic, what else can you yeah. be? Yeah, good. Uh, I'll let our uh, listeners and our viewers know that coming up on Thursday here in studio, Alberta municipalities, uh, three of the directors, uh, including the president, will be joining me around this table for a Real Talk Roundtable. Uh, that's uh, Mayor Kathy Heron out of the city of St. Albert, uh, Councillor Krista Gardner out of the town of Kalmar, and uh, the mayor of the town of Legale, Trina Jones, is going to join me here in studio. Uh, and of course, that'll be uh, give us some insight into, into the priorities of the Alberta municipalities, and, and we'll talk about the, that political dynamic from that 
angle. Uh, I promise to get the two of you out here so you don't miss your meetings, and I will respect that promise. Uh, really appreciate you joining us here in studio. That's uh, City Councilors Andrew Knack and Tim Carmel here live on Real Talk. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, coming up in just a second, Andrew Tumulty is going to join us from Toronto. Olivia Chow, the city's new mayor. This uh, conversation is presented by Real Talk sponsors like our friends at Apex Automation, who want to let you know that they're hiring right now. If you're a professional engineer, if you're a, a technician, instrumentation technician, or an electrician, they'd love to hear from you. They're hiring professional engineers for work in Alberta, in BC, in Saskatchewan. Heck, they just opened a new field office in Houston, Texas. This is an Edmonton-based automation firm that continues to grow one of the fastest in Canada, working on projects that are innovative, projects that are essentially paving the way for where industry is going. We're talking about working autonomous vehicles and machinery, robotics, programmable logic controllers, distributed control systems. If you know, you know. And if you know, you got to get to apexautomation.ca today. You know who else is hiring is our good friends at Kubi Renewable Energy, a full-service contractor for residential and commercial solar power systems. Heck, I've been following them on Instagram and seeing some of the work that they've been doing in, in the agricultural space as well. Very cool stuff happening as more and more industry players and entrepreneurs are realizing that going green on energy is going to benefit your business's bottom line. There's no doubt about it. Now back to the hiring side, Kubi's looking for journeyman electricians and apprentices as well that would love to help advance Canada's clean energy goals. They're based proudly on a Kamloops, BC and Edmonton, so you've got options and you could be working across Western Canada, including Northwest Territories. A really remarkable success story, that is Kubi Renewable Energy. The forecast this weekend across the country looks absolutely amazing, and it's a perfect time for us to remind you what's waiting for you at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park. They've got their brand new cake batter cookie dough blizzard treat. Yeah, that's right. Cake batter cookie dough blizzard treat. Cue the confetti, friends. Cake batter and cookie dough are teaming up. Uh, you can commemorate wins big and small for the month of July. This is July's Blizzard Treat of the Month as they combine DQ signature sprinkles with cake batter flavored and confetti cookie dough. Treat yourself at a Dairy Queen in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, or Baseline Road, and you make sure you let them know that Real Talk sent you. And finally, we want to give a big shout out. You know, every time we have guests like the two counselors in here, Johnny and I know what's going to happen. If it's their first visit, they're going to walk in and they're going to go, wow. And they look around here and they see all the hundred-year-old beams and all the old brick and the original hardwood, more than a hundred years old. And we can proudly let them know that that's the team at Complete Care Restoration that made this happen. They came into a space that, well, it needed some work to be done, quite frankly, including a persistent water leak. That's a real problem around cameras and lights, as you might imagine. We watched their team as they sourced out those issues, fixed them, repaired the damage, and set us up for future success. They've been helping people get back on their feet from flood damage, fire damage, even helping people get rid of mold and asbestos for more than 10 years now. And that's why they've earned the trust of so many Albertans who trust Complete Care Restoration. 
because we have seen them in action and because we have seen the finished product, we can proudly endorse with two thumbs up the team at Complete Care Restoration. Andrew Tumulty is coming up in less than 30 seconds. We're going to be talking about what message the city of Toronto sent last night, both to those in Ontario and across the country as they elected Mayor Olivia Chow. If you ever doubted what's possible together, if you if you ever questioned your faith in a better future and what we can do with each other for each other tonight is your answer. Thank you to the people of Toronto for the trust you've placed in me and the mandate for change as your new mayor. And whether you voted for me or not, we're united in our love for this great city. I pledge to you, I will delegate myself to work tirelessly in building a city that's more caring, affordable, and safe, where everyone belongs. There she was, the former NDP member of parliament last night in her acceptance speech to give us some insight on how the campaign worked and what this means moving forward. Andrew Tumulty joining us from Toronto. He's an expert in strategic communications and issues management for Enterprise Canada. He uh, contributed to essentially ran two campaigns for former Toronto Mayor John Tory and, of course, a political pundit in action last night. It was great to see you making it happen, Andrew. Thanks for getting up for us this morning after what I'm sure was a long night. How, how, do, how was it all from your seat? Well, it, it was interesting. I mean, it was a, a much closer race, uh, particularly when the results first came in than I think a lot of people were expecting, uh, which is always great when you're on live TV. It's nice to have a little bit of drama to keep things moving. Yeah, no kidding. I saw some people going, uh, Olivia Chow, some of the commentary early on, on Twitter, people are saying, Olivia Chow's not going to lose this thing, is she? She's not going to lose this thing anyway. And I went, gosh, that's a lot of pressure when you're running a front runner campaign this wasn't exactly you know the belmont stakes where people went there's 15 or the, you know there's 12 horses in the race and every single one of them could win she was the favorite from the outset yeah absolutely and, and i think that was probably a, a challenge uh for her campaign and her team and, and olivia chow herself deserve a lot of credit for running a, a successful campaign in those circumstances the, the thing about running a front runner's campaign is typically what you want to do is run something that's that's safe you know, that, that keeps your lead in check, that um, avoids making the kind of bold sort of promises that are li- as likely to, you know, alienate some voters as, as engage other ones, um, which is which is fine. And that's, you know, collective wisdom. But at the same time, Olivia Chow's voter base and, and her track record are ones that are absolutely in support of bold action and bold change. And so so balancing those two things is, is, is not the easiest thing for any campaign to do. And I thought her team did a great job uh, maintaining that lead and, and keeping that balance. 
I love this comment from Zoe, who's watching us live on YouTube right now, says, oh, it was a nice acceptance speech. I always like that, the, the sort of the entire, like, I'll represent everyone sentiment. And you heard it there uh, from Mayor-elect Chow. She says, even if you didn't vote for me, and we don't hear this from all politicians, says, even if you didn't vote for me, I'll work for you, uh, that kind of idea. Who is her base Andrew, I recognize we're talking about thousands and thousands of people, but but who is the typical Olivia Chow supporter here in this race? Well, I think that's the interesting thing that we saw last night. You know, um, I, I'm not sure that there is anymore after last night's result, a quote unquote typical Olivia Chow supporter. Right. She did very well, obviously, downtown, which is where she's you know uh, been elected before and where you would expect to see a lot of support for her. But then she also did well right across. Scarborough, um, which has a, a diverse population in terms of backgrounds, in terms of education, income, etc. Most people don't know, especially outside Toronto. Scarborough is the biggest part of the city, right? And, and so seeing that kind of support for her as well was really quite interesting. Um, you know, I, I heard more than once last night, we've, we've elected a mayor in Toronto who accurately sort of reflects the diversity of the city for the first time. And I think that's that's a fair comment. And that that's one way to think about why there may not be a typical uh, Olivia Chow voter last night, and, and there may not be in the future. Yeah, we're, we're showing a tweet right now from uh, Bridget Omaruni who says, you know, Olivia Chow, the first racialized person to become mayor of Toronto ever, says, talking about representation, it only took 189 years uh, since 1834 to see that representation. History is made today, and it's worth celebrating that's a big deal for Toronto, and, and I think probably that's a big deal for the country as well. People are, you know, don't tell Toronto this, Andrew, but but people across the country pay attention when things happen there. Yeah, I, I have heard we make the headlines every now and then. Every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Hey, can we can we get into this strong mayor's powers? This is something that that uh, and, and maybe you can kind of give us give us a little bit of background for people that may not have paid as close of attention. But there's a there's a Doug Ford angle on this, and ultimately uh, the reason why I invoke it now is that that uh, Mayor Elect Chow has said that she will not invoke these powers, which means that she's probably, I'm assuming, going to have to be doing some some team building. Um, can you set the scene for us on this? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So the provincial government under Doug Ford brought in strong mayor powers uh, for Toronto last year. And um, that was, you know, ahead of, of Mayor Tory's re-election. Um, and what that did was give the mayor a little more authority over items like the budget and committee appointments and, and hiring certain sort of um, high level city staff. Um, mayor Tory didn't really have much of a chance to, to use them um, due to his sudden resignation. And, uh, and Olivia Chow indicated during the campaign that she had no interest in using those powers. And I think that's where the challenge is going to be. What was particularly interesting last night was usually a mayor is elected alongside um, the 25 people that make up city council. And when John Tory was reelected in 2022, the thinking was that he still had a majority of support on that council. Um, looking at the makeup of council and, and thinking about Olivia Chow, you know, I would say she probably reliably has somewhere between 10 to 12 councillors that would vote for her, I think, fairly consistently. Um, but if she's not going to use strong mayor powers uh, for, for specific items, then she's going to need to get to 13 out of 25 to get some things done. Um, and that's where we're going to start to see, you know, what sort of trade-offs she's willing to make and, and how she's willing to build relationships, um, which may just end up being on a, on a vote-by-vote basis. Andrew, there there wasn't. Uh, I mean, you mentioned former Mayor Tory, and, and and again, you worked on a couple of those successful campaigns. Obviously, his sudden resignation prompted by disclosure that he'd had a personal relationship with a staffer. I think everybody knows the story. Were you surprised? Um, 
I guess, and, and maybe I'm guilty of, of something that may not be accurate here, but I perceive there to be a, a significant ideological difference between John Tory and Olivia Chow. And from the time that Mayor Tory was reelected to the time that he resigned, not a lot of time passed. Um, were you surprised to see Toronto swing in a different direction like it did? I think it was a little surprising. Um, it, in the early stages, you know, after he initially resigned, we stopped polling that indicated a lot of people didn't think he should resign. Um, we stopped polling that, that indicated if he was a candidate in this by-election, uh, that he'd probably be the, the front runner himself. Um, and obviously, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Olivia Chow represents quite a, a different perspective and vision for the city of Toronto. Um, I think, though, you know, what you have to kind of consider is that there is this progressive vote that, that has seen, you know, Rob Ford and then two terms uh, almost and into a third term of, of John Tory that were looking for change. And, I, you know, I think quite rightly in, in John Tory's two re-election campaigns, um, that that faction of voters, you know, didn't see a strong opportunity uh, to defeat him. And, and we didn't see a high profile candidate um, in this case with an open race. You know, they were able to get organized and, and identify who their who their uh, candidate was and uh, do the hard work you need to, to get somebody elected. So she's made promises. We, we played that one clip in particular on purpose. Uh, she talks about affordability, and I think that that's an issue that's important to people across the country. But when you're talking about housing prices, uh, Vancouver and Toronto are on a whole other level. Uh, where does she start with this, and, and, and what's doable, do you think? Well, I think that that'll be one of the more interesting things to keep an eye on, right? Like, let's remember that she's got uh, a particularly short runway um, because she's not getting a full four years to get some things done. Um, I think she's going to prioritize looking at affordable housing. You know, she's talked about bringing the city on uh, as a builder directly and trying to get units built as quickly as possible. Um, but the, the truth is, in the city of uh, the size of Toronto, you know, getting things built and, and built quickly is always going to be a challenge regardless of the mayor's uh, perspective. So we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see how she's able to sort of try and execute on that plan. Um, I, I want to be clear before I ask the question that certainly Olivia Chow, uh, her political career stands on its own two feet. She's accomplished a ton and her career extends uh, in public service for, for several decades as a former Toronto City Councillor. And as mentioned, of course, as well uh, as a former member of parliament, an NDP member of parliament. She will also, of course, always be forever associated with with her late husband, Jack Layton. And, and, and I wonder if it like I have to say, even for for people and keep in mind, I'm coming to you from Alberta. Um, Alberta did send a couple of NDP member members of parliament to Ottawa for sure. But generally speaking, uh, the federal party doesn't see a lot of love in Alberta. But I remember earlier in my journalism career covering Jack Layton coming through Alberta with his sleeves rolled up. And, and regardless of how people felt about his politics, there was just something about him. Uh, he was so very likable. Do you see the same thing in Olivia Chow? Do you, do you see sort of this, this, this emotional connection, this sort of, sort of likability that she has with constituents? Is she, is she an elected leader that as mayor uh, may connect with people on, on a bit of a different and more personal level? like Jack Layton used to do as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, her her own personal story as, as someone that was an immigrant uh, from Hong Kong to Toronto and talking about how she grew up played a huge role in this campaign and connecting her with voters. So I would expect her to, to carry on that connection as, as mayor. 
Do you see, uh, in closing, Andrew, uh, I, I asked, uh, I mean, we just had a conversation with two Edmonton city councillors asking them about their relationship with the province of Alberta, with the United Conservative government. You know, obviously, uh, that Edmonton, the city of Edmonton, sent exactly zero United Conservative MLAs to the legislature. And so it begs the question about relationships and how the two levels of government will function or will be able to cooperate or work together. What does the future look like through your eyes for uh, Mayor-elect Chow and Premier Doug Ford? Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting one to watch. I mean, uh, I think Premier Ford understands uh, better than perhaps he's sometimes given credit for that there's a difference between a campaign and, and, and governing. And once that's over, he's ready to put the gloves down and, and get to work. You know, we've seen that in his relationship uh, with the federal government and how he's worked with uh, the prime minister and, and with uh, Minister Freeland. We saw that in his relationship with uh, John Tory as well, who, you know, was originally elected by beating Doug Ford in a race in, in 2014. You know, Premier Ford understands that um, Toronto's success is, is key to Ontario's success. And I, I suspect that while him and, and Olivia Chow maybe have some different ideas about what the solutions are, are for, for certain issues, um, that they probably have a similar list of what the priorities are for Toronto. So it's about finding common ground and how to get those things solved. Awesome. Uh, Andrew, in your Twitter bio, you, you do note that you are a defender of the Toronto Maple Leafs and other lost causes. Um, the uh, the uh, free agent deadline is looming July 1st. It's going to be a big one. And, and I'm wondering, uh, if I may, we always got to fit at least 30 seconds of hockey talk in what you yeah. see your what you see your Leafs doing this offseason to try to get them over the hump and into the Stanley Cup final. Well, it, that, you know, that's a, that, that you want to talk about a challenge. There's one right there, right? You know, Olivia Chow's got an easy to, compared to uh, Brad for a living. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see, you know, looking at uh, the core four, as, as they're called, you know, apparently Shanahan said that they weren't going anywhere. Uh, we may not have an option. So we'll, we'll have to see what's out there come July 1 and, and see what we can do. Yeah, I'm curious to see if Ryan O'Reilly takes a pay cut and stays. I don't know. He seemed like a good fit oh. there. Right from from your lips, from your lips to, to his ears and his agents, you know. Yeah, but uh, as long as McDavid and Matthews are still tied for Stanley Cups, I guess the. Uh, the <laughs> Uh, you're not wrong. Although I grew up in Calgary, so I always, I, I always had the caveats and the asterisks too. I always used to say to my friends here in Edmonton, I said uh, the Flames and the Oilers both have the same amount of cups without Gretzky. So that was also true. Everybody finds the way to defend their own team. Uh, Andrew Tumulty, uh, strategic comms and issues management with Enterprise. Thanks for making time for us today, pal. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you got it. You can let us know what you think about interviews that you're hearing here on the show uh, by sending us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We always love, uh, of course, incorporating Real Talkers thoughts into future episodes. And remember, these conversations are always continuing. They're never over. And so if there's something that's caught your attention, uh, you just let us know. Uh, I see a lot of people, as soon as I mentioned Jack Layton in the chat, it just kind of fires up, Johnny. You notice that? people are. Someone here said Jack Layton would have been prime minister. Minister. That was Dennis who said he would have been prime minister. Um, that was a guy he saw. I mean, official opposition status. The, they had a, the NDP had a huge election yeah. uh, under Jack Layton's leadership. Mm -hmm. and, and people do kind of wonder, maybe would he have been the one that could have got that party over? Could have been. Yeah. I, I didn't agree with everything he said. But when you when you reference the, the rolling up of the sleeves. Yeah. You know, I remember the pictures of him. He just looked like he looked like a guy you could have a beer with. You could yeah. talk to down to earth. Someone who. 
yeah, probably would have made a great prime minister if had he, had he got in. And there's there's that that uh, certain kind of special sauce mm-hmm. that some politicians have, and, and and not just politicians, business leaders, uh, like like community athletes. leaders, athletes. Right? I was going to talk about this today because did you watch any of the uh, NHL awards? Yeah, I, I wanted people... to drop that on Andrew there because Connor did take home a lot of <laughs> hardware last night. Four trophies, if I if my counting was correct, right? The Art Ross. Uh, for the scoring leader, the the uh, the Rocket Richard for the goal scoring lead, mm-hmm. uh, the Pearson, the Lester, or not the Pearson, the the, the uh, what am I, the Ted Lindsay Award, yeah, um, which up. which Ted Lindsay is a big. You, you got the Hart Trophy, which is the MVP, but that's voted on by media, right? Mm-hmm. But but the Ted Lindsay is voted on by the players. Yeah. It's the MVP, so say the players, mm-hmm. and I think that that one maybe means the most. But a big night for him. But I but what I was gonna say is 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 much like Jack Layton. There's just this thing when you see people. Like you just know they have something like you can be like McDavid when he got up there. And this is nothing on the production of the show last night or on Connor himself or anyone at the NHL, because I know how hard it is behind the scenes. You've seen it to make athletes seem interesting because a lot of them, they just aren't. They're They're machines. You're used to the whole, uh, you know, music awards and, and, you know, the Oscars. Those are people who are stars who are meant to be have a presence. Yeah, exactly. Have a presence on stage. Sometimes athletes, and I mean, some of them are funny. Some of them are witty. Some of them are, you know, have personality. Most of them though, man, they're just workhorses. Connor McDavid, one, he's almost like, no, I don't want to say that. That's rude. But he's like, he's like, he has so much talent that there's no room for, for the other stuff. You know what I mean? So, you know, Connor had a moment when he went on stage and he was, he was talking with this young kid and it just, it was, I just saw the tweets coming in being like, this is so cringe, but it's like, (laughs) they're trying. Yeah. But, but, but Jack Layton had that thing going back to it where like, he just had that spark. He had that personality. You felt like you were talking to, you know, someone at the grocery store or, or at a newsstand when he, when he was talking to the TV or on yeah. a radio. So, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and I remember, yeah, and I was, it was early in my journalism career and covering his visit to Edmonton and, and it just stuck with me. I just remember that, that you, you walk into, I think as a federal NDP leader, uh, mm. when you're in Alberta, it it's hostile territory. It yeah. just is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's maybe not as hostile as if you're the federal liberal leader, uh, let alone a liberal prime minister, because I think that there's more, especially named Trudeau, right? Yeah. There's the, there's the whole Pierre Elliott Trudeau thing and the NEP in the 1980s, and, and it goes deep back and all the fuck Trudeau bumper stickers and all that kind of stuff. I saw one um, this morning on the way to work. <laughs> I saw one just the other day on this <laughs> tiny little, it was like a tiny little, it was like small, it was like a Toyota something, like a what's smaller than a Corolla. It was like this tiny little guy with this big F Trudeau bumper sticker. I just, I, you know, don't ever speed kids, but I had to speed to catch up because I was like, I got to see what this driver, I always, I gotta see what this I see driver sticker, looks like. I'm like, I got to see what this yeah, is. Yeah. And this guy was the driver. <laughs> I mean, I just pulled up and just gave him a little smile and he gave me a snarl and maybe I'm not the first person to pull up to see who is behind mm-hmm. the wheel, but he, he looked like just kind of your classic, like get off my lawn kind of a guy. <laughs> he was, he was a get off my lawn, smoking with the windows rolled up kind of a guy and we don't want to paint that picture and be a stereotype but i saw someone with like they had five stickers oh the stereotype other away it was John. like f trudeau it was like the freedom convoy it was like something else i it love was like Canadian a biker and company and then there was a leaf in the middle and this is all in the back like tailgate yeah. like window i was like i gotta see this guy and I roll <laughs> up and this isn't a stereotype thing this is literally who it was but guy in long hair white sunglasses no but oh. Oakley's, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And like 
like a goatee beard coming down, like graying, graying long hair yeah. with a hat on and just darting. Just yeah, darting like with just the windows up. And I was up like, this is exactly what I want to see. Someone's going to write in and just take me to task for, for my white sunglasses take. But uh, hey, Tawny's I'm, saying I'm just here, calling him how I'm seeing him. Jack, Jack Layton just had the X Factor. And a lot of people on the awards show last night, if I can go back to the NHL awards, because I want to get your take on this, just don't have it. And even Dirks Bentley, what was he doing? Don't Did, have what? Don't have that spark. They don't have that. You know, a few of the guys who got up oh, last yeah. night to accept I awards. I mean, they have that. Yeah, but know? they're brilliant in their own way, right? That's it's what like, I mean. Connor's like, like a savant. About, it's you know like when I mean? you have a when you have a off the top of my head, um, you know. Okay, let's bring this to the LRT line. Like maybe they don't have their most brilliant engineer in front of the microphones talking about the project because the brilliant engineer's brilliance is on the engineering side, mm -hmm. right? Or you, you look at anybody like a you know we talk about doctors, for example, physicians, and you can be wonderful at what you do. And be really like, do you remember Sapria Devetti? Uh, gosh, do I ever miss Sapria? I want to let you all know that we still obviously are in regular contact with her. We love her like crazy. We think of her and her husband, Anup, and who, who's just bravely fighting stage four cancer right now. I was just now. thinking of her when we were and, talking about Jack. I think about her all the time. Thought, and uh, but you remember Sapria talking, and you can find this in our archives if you want to hear it. It was a just a bombshell that she dropped talking about their, their the oncologist when they first, and Anup's getting like the worst news of his life. Mm -hmm. And the, the doctor was just brutal he was brutal with them and he basically said to sapria she told us uh you know i can understand that you're upset um uh, he said and, and you know you've got your husband to look after but i've got many patients to look after so i gotta go kind mm -hmm. of thing and Didn't you're he, going, what he painted her as like the grieving wife of, you know, who's like weird hysterical thing. or so you don't know if someone can be someone can be and i don't know how that physician's you know skills are on the science side but you don't take, you, you know, it's not, we, we maybe take it for granted that someone can be good at their job, but maybe lack what they would call the bedside manner. Exactly. You know, you can't always be like Connor McDavid on the ice doing Connor McDavid things. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's now, you've seen uh, the Art Ross and the Hart trophies. Uh, he's, he's now in rarefied air. It's like him, Wayne Gretzky, and Mario Lemieux. Mm -hmm. Like he's won five Art Ross trophies, three Hart trophies. That's bonkers. Mm -hmm. He's won away from Mario's career accomplishments. Mario, of course, fought cancer for a long time. Mm-hmm. But that, but but it. I mean, imagine if Connor had the pizzazz, maybe that Matthew Kachuk or that David Pasternak have. Uh, I mean, we would charts. we wouldn't even know what to do with them. <laughs> and I think that's the thing: the scales are so off with him. He's just he's so talented. There's no room up here for like, you know, <laughs> painting, telling jokes, stuff like that. And that's not to say that he's just. The ultimate dog guy. I think there's a bit of nerves too. Like that's just not his area, right? Yeah. But when he gets on the ice, when he puts on the skates, when he's got a stick in his hand, it's like he's in his element, right? Yeah. But also last night, like Dirk Bentley as the host was just like when he 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 did this thing where he chugged out of the Stanley Cup. He chugged a beer out of the Stanley Cup. Uh -huh. He's like, this has been something I want to scrub off my bucket list. Blah blah blah. So he gets like. <laughs> It's three people up there, including a White Cloud and two other guys, and they're pouring beer. Stanley Cup champions at White Cloud in, yeah. into the cup, and then they're having trouble with it. And like, how's he going to do this? He gets down on one knee, he gets up. I'm wondering, has Dirk Bentley ever drank a beer before? As I'm watching this, <laughs> like, just grab it and start chugging. And then they lean it in, and he kind of like puts his like this right, puts his neck up like this over the top <laughs> of the rim, and tries to like. And then he's like, oh, I didn't get enough. I wanted, oh, it's so good when it touches his lip. Let me try again. And then he did it again. And 
I was like, what is happening here? The other thing, and again, I don't want to rag in the NHL, the production. I've worked with them. I love them. I know how hard it is. But you had uh, Jeff Montgomery, or is that his name from the the Bruins? Who's the Bruins? Oh, I don't know. Uh, uh, I'm going to look up his name. Uh, he We're came up and accepted fly, award. Checking. And, uh, oh, you're talking about Jim Montgomery, Jim the coach? Montgomery, the coach. Sorry, yeah. sorry the Jack so Adams. He came oh, up, yeah. accepted his award. And then he said a big thank you to his family as being his team. And then he talked about going through alcohol abuse and how it was a big turning factor wow, in his life. Yeah. And how he said, you know, when I gave up alcohol and there was this big turning point and I don't think it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's luck that this happened with the team. You know, if you have a good team behind you and I have my family, they're my team, blah, blah, blah. Anything can be accomplished. And then they go to a quick commercial break and then they come back and Dirk Bentley's like, let's turn this place into a honky tonk. And they bring out waitresses with beer and they're handing red solo cups of beer out to everyone in the audience. And I was like, I don't know, maybe, of course I didn't know he was going to say that, but if I, if I was them, I would have done an audible and be like, hey, we're not going to hand out the booze. You got to call after, the audible. After yeah. this guy just gave like a heartwarming speech about, you know, being an alcoholic and turning around, maybe we shouldn't pass out a bunch of booze, right? Yeah. And then right after that, point, man. they chugged beer out of the cup. And I was just like this. It, it just didn't flow. It just didn't flow right. And again, I don't think that's that's something that happened that they didn't force. I love and, and this is probably apparent to people. I love talking about events and broadcasts with you because you and I, but, but you in particular have so much experience in event production and carrying things up that you notice these little things that are big things. They're right? very big. I mean, can I can I infuse a little politics in this? It wouldn't be real talk if we weren't melding and mixing sports and politics all the time. Alberta's new minister of mental health and addictions, Dan Williams, mm -hmm. the Northern Alberta MLA. Like, What's he probably most famous for? He's probably most famous for giving a shout out to Royal Canadian Legion members in the legislature and opening a can of Alberta Genuine draft and sculling the can of AGD, <laughs> which of course is a big no-no. It's a big yeah. faux pas. Um, do you remember that we were going to remember our plan on Real Talk the next morning? I so was going to open with crushing in, a beer. Yeah, I came in one morning and you were like, should I do it? Should too? I do and, this? And then, but there was a serious story and we decided was, it, was, yeah. it, it would have started the show off on the wrong foot. Well, the right foot, but the wrong <laughs> foot. But yeah, so Alberta's Minister of Mental Health and Addictions is probably most well known in his political career for uh, crushing a beer uh, in the Alberta legislature, which is about mm -hmm. as Alberta as you can get. But the optics of something like that, you're right, is something that should yeah, be considered. And I, I have nothing against booze and drugs and whatever, sex, do whatever you want i think nowadays everyone's free to do whatever they want as long as they're not hurting anyone as long as women children and animals are safe while you're doing it yeah and nobody's being abused like go ahead but i just feel like you also have to read the room that that there was a big moment there where he got emotional on stage talked about this and then if I was in the background with a headset, I'd be like, hey, we're going to push Even this. if you threw to a Let's commercial break. Let's push this to commercial Commercial breaks can can break up the segment, and, yeah. and you go to break. and. But anyways, Dirk Smedley can't drink a beer. I don't know what he, I don't know if he's ever drank one before. Huh. Someone here, Alberta Girls, <laughs> mentioning that Toby Keith has liver cancer. Is that true? I didn't know that. That's that's news to me. I hadn't heard that. Um, also, I want to give a shout out to Liney, who's just uh, signed in, lets us know in the chat that they're tuned in and watching from Jordan. Absolutely Ooh. amazing. That's one of our hobbies. You know, we'll go on our website and we'll see where we're getting hits from and where people are chiming in mm -hmm. from. And you and I were joking a while ago. For whatever reason, Real Talk is huge in the Philippines, yeah. which we absolutely love. So shout out to those uh, international listeners. <laughs> 
listeners and live tuners. Boy, do we ever appreciate you. Uh, for those closer to home, the province of Alberta in particular, I'm talking Calgary, Edmonton, and central Alberta. I want to take a second to talk to you about Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food. Boy, was it ever cool to connect with the Monsma family at the Real Talk Golf Classic back on Thursday. Uh, if you subscribe to our Real Talk weekly email, it's it's free, obviously, and it's easy to sign up for. You just go to ryanjesperson.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up there. You'll see my most recent email features a photo from the fairway. Uh, a photo, well, from the fourth tee box, technically. Me and a few real beauties. Those are the Monsmas. Those are the owners and operators of Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. I always love to put a face to a name and remind you how proud we are to do business with family-owned businesses. They care very deeply about your pets and not just dogs. They've got stuff for cats as well. You can check out granddog.ca. The blog is a great resource to learn a little bit more about how you can manage your animal's weight, your dog or your cat with a raw food diet. You can understand more about high quality protein. What about pumpkin soup for dogs? Yeah, it's a thing. And they've also got great supplements. This is the time of year where your pet may be showing signs of an allergic reaction. How do you treat it? How do you deal with it? How do you set them up for the most successful and comfortable life they can have? Details at granddog.ca. It's delivered right to your door in the municipalities we mentioned. The promo code REALTALK knocks 10% off your first time order. It's what we feed our dogs at home. At Eden Landscaping, they are bringing outdoor spaces to life. And right now, this is their busiest time of year. We're super excited every time we get a chance to check in with Mike and his team just to hear how they're taking people's drab and uninspired outdoor spaces, whether it's a backyard or front yard or otherwise, and maximizing the potential of that space. They're a custom landscape builder, which means there's no cookie cutter projects. It also means with 20 years of experience that this is a team that has seen it all and they take great pride in their problem solving. If you dread thunderstorms in July because you know that there's going to be flooding or you've got a drainage issue, if you're keeping an eye on that fence, you know, you and the neighbors and recognizing it's about to come down because you don't have a retaining wall and you need one done, they're great listeners at Eden Landscaping, and they're ready to go right now. Through the project, their entire goal is making your vision come to life. You can check out their portfolio online at landscapeedmonton.ca. And my heart was full yesterday. Johnny, little things, weird things get me excited. Mm-hmm. Like when I see a certain green bin in a back alley that wasn't there before. <laughs> yeah, yesterday it was a business that I frequent. I go there often. And uh, I popped in to tell them this yesterday, how excited I was to see a brand new local environmental bin, a front load bin behind their family owned business. That's great. I just know they're going to get better service. I imagine they got a better price, which is probably why they made the move. And of course, they heard about local environmental right here on Real Talk. If you're a decision maker for a business big or small, I mean, heck, West Edmonton Mall uses local. Or if you work for a municipality. Uh, in Edmonton or Whitecourt or Regina and area, basically Alberta and Saskatchewan. Keep it local with your garbage and recycling. Check out how they can help today by visiting localenvironmental.ca.
I will say there were some good moments to the awards last night. What I was one of the highlights? Still want to stay in their good books. The I'm, Ben Stelter moment was, I was pretty just special. Watching it while you're doing your ads. Yeah. yeah. For that people that missed it, Ben Stelter, obviously the little guy that that uh, courageously fought a, a reform cancer for a long time and and um, and and tragically passed away. Uh, but an inspiration, you know. There's there's a lot of kids. I, I I hate what I was about to come out of my mouth because it's true. I was going to say there's a lot of kids that fight these horrible diseases, which is enough of a gut punch. Um, and, and oftentimes, you know, pro sports teams do a lot to, to help those kids have a better day and to mm-hmm. do something to briefly distract the kids and their families uh, away from, from those health challenges. But there was something about Ben Stelter. There was something about the way that he connected with Connor and Connor connected with him mm-hmm. and his family. And he made a real impression on that entire team. If you say play La Bamba baby in Edmonton, <laughs> you're going to get people with tears in their eyes as they remember Ben Stelter, one of the great yeah. all-time friends of the Oilers. A lot of strength there for, for, a, for a child, really. Like, Incredible. If you've ever had someone in your family go through cancer, if you've ever watched someone, yeah. my wife, I'm getting choked up, but my wife's mom passed away from it. Like chemo is no joke. Mm. Being that sick is painful every day. And that kid came out. He had energy. Yeah, I did. And I think that's what Connor loved about him. And then the days where his dad would tweet or whatever and say, "Hey, he's not he's not good enough to come to the game." Yeah, you just knew how hurting he was that day. So, mm. yeah. It was it was great to see the NHL fly them out and not tell Connor. Yes. And he got surprised. And again, going back to the personality, I feel like his speech after he saw them come out on stage was the best thing he had worded the whole night. Like, his vocabulary, he was just... I don't know. It, it, it energized him. You could tell he was legitimately surprised to see he this, the Stelter family there. And then uh, every... To, to award the Hart Trophy, the MVP. Yeah, I, but yeah it was a beautiful one, moment. One of, one of probably the best parts about the whole night was, was having Connor sit there and watch... Dirk Bentley with Zach Whitecloud and everybody drink out of that cup because it's just gonna it's just gonna have that fire burn in his belly all summer long. Well, the best thing he said in his speech when he got the heart was, you know, he looked down at, at Nurse and who else was, and he's like, "Boys, we got unfinished business." Yep. He said, he and needs I was two like, more trophies." I was like, "Wow, that's what I need to hear from Connor." I need <laughs> seriously, I need him and and Leon. I need everybody post game after a loss being angry. In closing, Tracy says in the live chat, we've been able to listen this morning without earphones, and our dog Bailey is wagging her tail every time Johnny talks. Bailey loves his voice. A lot of people say, I sound like, who's the guy, Charlie Day? Oh, from uh, <laughs> Always Sunny in Philadelphia? My wife's like, when you get excited, and you're <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> you really do. You really, really do. But it's it's because you know when when plant based people talk through the microphone, animals oh, connect. Oh jeez! Hi there. Here we go. Hello. We were taking care of our neighbor's chickens yesterday uh, over the last few days That's while they were amazing. gone on vacation. Yeah. You didn't and, tell uh, me this. No, yeah, no, I don't tell you everything. And uh, and <laughs> some stuff I got to keep private because what if the chickens went missing? I know. What but- if a fox got into the hen house? I couldn't be resp- publicly responsible for this. Uh, but we were curious because you know they have like their chicken feed, but then they also get table scraps, right? And so they're like, yeah, just like hang on to your table scraps, almost like you're keeping it for compost. And then once a day or a couple times a day, uh, you know, you go out and you give the chickens the chicken or the uh, table scraps. And I'm sitting there looking and like we had chicken. <laughs> we had eggshells. I'm like, is this like a weird do we give them chicken? You don't it's give chicken. You don't give chickens chicken, chicken do you? You create these monsters. I can't believe you had chickens at your house. No, 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 no. We just went next door. Oh okay. no, we didn't have them at our house. And you didn't invite me over to like <laughs> hang out with these chickens. To come talk to the animals. 
Yeah. And maybe, I'm also surprised you didn't eat one. Maybe we'll bring him on. <laughs> so am I. You and me both. Well, they told us that the laying hens aren't the ones you want to eat. So <laughs> I said to him, I said, like, when they first got them, I said, how, how does this all end? Like, what's the lifespan of a layer? Is they, you know, like, and this sort of, like, do you eat them at the end? And he was kind of like, nah, not so much. Jesperson. So no. But the chickens Big last chicken lo- guy. Last lo- <laughs> chickens last longer than you might think. And as a matter of fact, John, coming up on tomorrow's show, the chickens will be joining us. <laughs> Live in studio, uh, we brought something out of them by feeding them those eggshells and chicken breasts, and we don't know, no, but in all seriousness, still to come on this week, as mentioned, well, a circuit calendar for Thursday, that's in Alberta municipalities around him. We're going to be talking about issues that matter to rural and urban communities across this province we're proud to call home, and we're working on, we've got confirmation on a couple of big guests for Friday. It's a healthcare roundtable. We're going to talk about Dr. Dina Hinshaw getting fired. See you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.